The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. Sometimes one can't help but think of unfinished business. Revisiting elements of the past in search of new avenues and opportunities. But are such wanders down memory lane worth your time, your attention, or your life? My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and whistler, and you are entering Cinema Limbo, the way station for underappreciated films. Tonight's symposium covers The Two Jakes, the 1990 sequel to modern noir classic Chinatown, directed by and starring Jack Nicholson with Harvey Keitel, Meg Tilly and Madeleine Stowe. My guest is Ed Bloomer and you join us on a steamy night in the cruel city. Hi Ed. Hello, how's it going? I'm, I'm boiling away to nothing. I feel your pain, I feel your pain. Let's know, we're recording this in the middle of one of London's frequent heat waves, and neither Ed nor I are used to such things, and we both despise hot weather. Yep, that's true. Um, but of course, if you were to live in California, you'd be used to the sort of thing all the year round. That's a that's that's a good segue. That's good. It is a good uh, segue. Yes, yes, it is. Um, I know people that have lived for extended periods in California. It seems a bit strange that it's just hot there most of the time. Well, it's these these strange foreign climates that they have. I I can't just oscillate between unbearable heat and unspeakable cold at different points of the year the way we do. They have to have it consistent all the time. Yeah, they they must be far too relaxed. The weather here keeps you on your toes. You never know what's going (laughs) to... Running in and out of shadows. Keeps you on your toes or just stresses you out. One one of the two. So, with that in mind, what can you tell me about Chinatown? Well, so I was wondering about this uh, before we went, before we started. Uh, I haven't actually seen Chinatown, but through osmosis, sort of know all of the plot points, and not not really consciously. I just like I know I know what it is, and I think I've seen a bit of the start and a bit of the end. Um, but and, and I thought, well, maybe I should watch it first, and then I thought it might be a semi-interesting perspective to not bother and just jump straight into. Uh, the two jigs. Well, I wouldn't say that you need to have a, a strong memory of Chinatown to understand and enjoy the two jigs, but it does help a bit, I think. Yeah, it, I mean, it is definitely a sequel. It's not mm. just a. That, that surprised me because I, I heard a tiny little bit about, about about this film. It's obviously not as well known, but I had heard a tiny little bit about it before I watched it. But I didn't really, because of the big time gap. I thought, well, it's sort of a sequel in name only, right? It'll be, it'll be about Jack Nicholson's character. It'll be another case for yeah, Jake it'll be another Gizzi's. case, yeah. But it is actually much more of a direct sequel than I thought. Yeah, well, um, Chinatown was released in 1976, directed by Roman Polanski, written by Robert Town, and it was 
a huge critical and commercial success. It was the kind, the kind of film that in the 70s was a smash hit and now would struggle to get theatrical release because it's a serious adult drama. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, on serious themes. Um, but it had been a success to the level that Town and Nicholson were both interested in uh, making a, 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 continua- a continuation. Um, another another case for Jake Gitties. And as a result, uh, Nicholson has never played another Private Eye character or another period cop character in any of his other films because he wanted to keep that separate for any Chinatown follow-up. Right, okay. There was, uh, at one point, a theory that it would it would develop into a trilogy because the theme of Chinatown is about who has control of California's water in the two jakes it's who has control of the natural resources and a potential third film uh, called uh, Cloverleaf was going to be who has control of the roads and the construction of the infrastructure Um, the third film we know is never going to happen because for no other reason Nicholson is now far too old but also (laughs) that turns out to be the uh, MacGuffin behind Who Framed Roger Rabbit I'd I'd heard this. I'd I'd read this as a little bit piece of trivia. Um, I mean, it is a very. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's just sort of reinforcing what you're saying here. But it it is a very LA sort of film, and in fact, actually, because it's not trying to be something else, it was kind of interesting. I thought sometimes to see the different environments, which in other films are pretending to be something else, but here they are just presented as LA essentially. Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting to see the local environments just playing themselves. Hmm. And you get to see such a range of environments as well, because Los Angeles is such a, covers such a huge area. Hmm. So you're getting like beachfront, um, uh, you know, mansions and you know, dust the, the dusty streets of the city and office buildings, and then you're going out into the desert and these giant tr- empty tracts of land. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the two jakes really does show off how varied Los Angeles can be. As you know, there is a film called Los Angeles Plays Itself, which is just about how the city has been used in cinema to represent its own history, right. and it's comprised entirely of clips of other films. As a result, it's almost never released because it's completely impossible to license. But, but this it, is a really good capsule of of that. It, it is, and 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 I mean, for for this film, I think it's great. What, what it also made me then think in the back of my head was how disappointing it was sometimes, or <laughs> how disappointing it is, I guess, of, of, I mean, I'm not saying it's not effort to, to go and film on any location, but it, it, but it's, it's one of those things that I always, I always think about film is like how little of the world actually is filmed, you know, in, and, and I don't mean documentaries and things like that, but, but, you know, just in, just in fictional movies, like how, how little you actually get to see, you know there are definitely prime locations, um, yeah, and, and uh, you know even more than a century of, of uh, you know film and kind of motion pictures, actually there's there's huge amounts of the world that it'd be really cool to see. I mean, again, as I say, not not just in terms of um, you know documentaries or you know actually going there, but ju- but just put on screen for, to be part of fiction. Um, mm. There's actually quite a, a scarcity of, of 
variety there, I think. Well, the two Jakes have been in development for quite a while. Um, there'd been a plan in the mid-80s to develop it. The script was produced and um, production was all ready to start in 1985. Uh, and the film had been cast. Uh, Robert Tam was going to direct. Uh, and Kelly McGillis, Kathy Moriarty... Dennis Hopper, Joe Pesci and Harvey Keitel had all been signed on with Robert Evans returning to produce but the problem was Robert mm. Evans wanted to play Jake Berman mm. who is the main secondary character and the issue with that is that Robert Evans had not acted in anything for over 30 years um, he was a C-list actor who'd switched to being producer had found his niche and become one of the, the mega producers of the 70s yeah. um, and the resulting conflict between Nicholson, Tan and Evans over this crashed the film less than a week before it was due to start filming even that's kind of interesting, the idea that the screenwriter had any power at all because he was directing but, but, but just, just that still like just, just the ability to do that I mean I, I, mean, I guess I, I, you do get, uh, you know, you do get director writers, but they tend to be considered kind of director first, and then they have a hand in the script nowadays. Script. Well, the, inter- the the interesting thing is that it's it's something that I found really interesting that we'll definitely talk about is that Jack Nicholson didn't start out as an actor. He started out as a writer and director, who then began acting. Because he's the director of the two Jakes. Which I, and, and I think it's that aspect of it which is the weakest part of the film, is the direction, for me. Anyway. I've, I think he's only directed three or four films, and I've, I think I've only seen one other, which was Going South, a Western, with um, uh, himself and Mary Steenburgen, and it's a lot better than this. <laughs> right, OK. But is this the last film that he directed? I believe so, yeah. I mm. think this... Um, kind of soured the whole notion of him directing again because it was such an ordeal to get made. It was almost like he had to step in just to get the thing actually produced. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, the, yeah, he hasn't directed again. Yeah, and, I mean... Uh, yeah, he only directed one film other than those two and that was uh, 1971's Drive, he said. I haven't seen that, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'll have to... Well, uh, uh, mm. would I, would I want to see it based on this? I don't know. Well, I'd recommend going south. Okay. Um, in which he plays a um, an outlaw who is sentenced to hang, but is rescued by a woman who's, who who um, says she can reform him. So she takes him home to with the notion that um, she can sort of domesticate him while he's keen to make off as soon as he can. But then they get in. Uh, they get involved with a family silver mine and they start to develop a relationship where he becomes, you know, his, his rough edges start to be knocked off and she gets a little more worldly and they yeah. start to fall in love. And, it, and it's this sort of odd comic drama western. Hmm. But it works really well. Hmm. And it's, it's weirdly a film in which Christopher Lloyd plays a Wild West character who's secretly in love with Mary Steenburgen, right. but it's not Back to the Future 3. <laughs> Well, that's good. Actually, I mean, yeah, that sounds alright, actually. Maybe I will it is, it. Yeah, it's, it's good, I'd recommend it. Um, 
but anyway, the um, that version of the two jokes failed to happen. Um, Dino De Laurentiis stepped in with a review to funding it, and his plan was to get rid of Nicholson and have Harrison Ford play Jake Gitties, with Roy Scheider as the Jake Berman character, and even that John Huston, who was a main supporting player in Chinatown, would come back and direct. Right. Even though he was, at the time, so ill that he had to use an oxygen tank while he was directing his last film. Um, the film went to Canon for a while, so it might have been a Golan Globus production, and they would have definitely driven it into the ground. And eventually it came back to Paramount again, and Nicholson was actually able to get it off the ground with himself directing. Um, it was released in the summer of 1990 and bombed, and was then rarely talked about again. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's uh, it, it's an odd... Well, I can sort of understand some of the reasons it might have bombed. I mean, obviously, the trouble production aside and whatever marketing happened or not aside, it's quite a tricky thing to do a... I mean, it is a period piece in a sense. Yeah. Um, but it's not so stylized. That it's, or that it was. I don't know that it. it there's the, the, there's not um, anything particularly dramatic or new or interesting. I don't think about the aesthetic of it, and so it, it's, no, a it's, it's a period piece. But it's not. You know, you're not going that far back. It's not. It's it's a it's a conventional film in many ways. It's it's. It wouldn't be wildly different if you were to do that in a present-day setting. The fact that it has this period setting is important to the story because it's about the development of Los Angeles. Yeah. But it's quite conventional and straightforward in its storytelling and its directorial style. Yeah. And so is Chinatown, really. It's, I mean, it's one of Polanski's more down-the-line films, I think, because he was you know, making it for a big studio with a big budget. Um. But the, I, mean, I can think offhand, there was another film that came out the same summer that was also a period detective movie, but it was a big hit. And that was Dick Tracy, which was much more stylized and much more um, almost experimental. But to be, I mean, just to point out that they're quite different films, right? But yes, of course they are. But superficially you can boil them down to being quite similar one was popular because it's playing to the blockbuster crowd and it's an action adventure and this one is a more adult drama yeah and this is the one that struggled to connect i think i think that's the reason it's not that the period element was a, an issue i think it's that it's a it's an intelligent serious film that you really have to concentrate while you're watching possibly but then i mean i, mean, I guess if you compare it to something like say la confidential yeah so, superficial similarities, let's say. Um, but I would say Ellie Confidential is a much more exciting film and a much more... I mean exciting as in an, an exciting watch. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, you know, I don't mean for the shootouts or whatever. I, I, I mean, uh, it is stylish in a way that this isn't and it's, um, it's also quite a complex plot and it's... You know, it's adults. You know. I think a lot of that comes down to um, the difference of direction. I think Curtis Hansen yeah, yeah. had a much better handle on how to tell that story. That it is stylish, it is sort of noir styled. 
in a way that this deliberately isn't. No, and, and I think that I mean that, I think that is kind of interesting. I was thinking about something I'd, I'd read, and you know, if you if you think about the sort of noir, and uh, you think about uh, Chandler, and, and and you know, you think about novels and things like yeah. that. You do get the feeling that you know, or you have in your mind the idea of you know somebody's wearing a, a trilby and you know has a trench coat and it's kind of dark and drizzly, but. I mean, it's not because because it's LA. That's not that's not what LA is like at all. Um, whereas this, what I did like about this is, like, it's hot, and it and it makes it quite clear that you know lots of the time it's just sort of uncomfortable and everybody's in heavy suits all the time and they're just sort of driving out in the sun and it's but it, but it doesn't go completely overboard. It's 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 not like the heat is so oppressive. Um, no, you, you know, there's a, there's a million things sort of set in the you know the set southern states in America, where everybody's sweating all the time, and it's it's, it's sort of really overused. That yeah, yeah, okay, we get, we get it. It's hot and it's humid. Um, this is not like that, but still, you do get the impression quite often that it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like it's Los Angeles, so it's hot, but it's always hot here. Yeah. Rather than oh this is oh what this terrible heat well this never end well no because that's it's where you live yeah it's not being really used as a kind of storytelling device it's just well that's just what it's like yeah and and even th- and things like the earthquakes which uh, or tremors or, or however you want to call them but uh, you know which comes back and is important but um, not knowing that going into it I thought it was quite good the way that. You know that it's just presented as this thing that is a bit, you know it is quite worrying, of course. But that, it's, but that, it's, but that something that, it's something that happens there, yeah. Because it's that's you know it's like train strikes over here. You know yeah. these happen occasionally. <laughs> you just have to live with it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did I, I did enjoy that aspect of the setting. I just thought, yeah. As I say, I thought I thought the direction was it was quite pedestrian. I mean, I say, I'm not. I'm not a director. I feel, I feel like you know. I'm, I'm really criticising something I, I don't know enough about. But uh, I, I was surprised at how many shots there were of. It, it was much slower paced than the way it was shot. Yeah. And and lots and lots of shots of um, quite slow shots of picking up the phone, putting down the phone, looking at something, sort of swapping. You know. You've got a bunch mm. of sheets of paper, and you sort of take one out and put it to the back, and then have a look at things. There was a bit where he unfolds the letter um, from uh, Faye Dunaway's character uh, from uh, Chinatown, and you know he, he does it quite clumsily, but it, but all of that's just on screen. It's, it's just it, I, I know it's I know it's, that sounds sort of mad and it's slightly minor, but it, but it's like and and, and you know. Arguably, it's more realistic, but it's weird when you spend like sort of ten seconds on screen, close in shot of sort of taking something out of an envelope and kind of clumsily opening it up. It's yeah. it, it just it, it's just little things like that where because it's not a short movie, certainly not I don't think by the standards of the time it's, it runs over two hours, including credits. But yeah, yeah. But it, it's not it's not snappy the direction. I think Nicholson was still, he was making it in the 
the thinking, the mindset that this was a 70s New Hollywood era film. Yeah, but I think I think it it's not it doesn't have um, I mean it's such an overused kind of phrasing or but kind of grittiness. I, I I thought it was all the sort of set decoration and all that sort of stuff was quite. I mean I I I don't have the the, the vocabulary here to dis, to describe it properly, but it, it, I I see what I see what you're saying. And Everything I think, looked too nice. Well, I mean, I, think, <laughs> I also I think, thought it I looked think, sort of horrible. Like I think, like I think, really, some of the styling is so disgusting. <laughs> I mean, that's just superficial of me. But but the, the, there's so many things where I just thought, Ugh, this is, you know, what you mean, just unpleasant decor or actual, just, and the clothes and the just the way things looked. I mean, it's I mean that's just fashion, right? Think, think, things move on, and you know what used to be really fashionable all of a sudden you feel like you can't stand anymore but you know there's all that sort of stuff but uh, yeah I, I, I sort of thought well you know any any cheaper it really would be like a, a made for TV movie you know I, I mean as in back yeah. in the day where you know TV wasn't you know where lots of the or maybe uh, like a mi- happening. maybe like a network miniseries yeah 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 because because you know it Again, I think if you're in the mindset to watch it, it's it, it's nice to relax into a film that is actually quite, um, as you say, it's 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 kind of for adults. It's it's. Um, uh, I mean, I've been using slow a lot, but you, you, you know, it, it has sort of room to breathe a bit. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's not all bad, but um, there were some bits where I sort of thought, oh, okay, can I skip ahead ten seconds? Like, will that? Can I trim the scene for myself? As I, I, you might you might miss an important shot of a piece of paper. But exactly, <laughs> or or another bit where somebody picks up the phone and you and you see that all happening and you and and it makes sure to it, it's quite strange because you know you think about lots of movies about this sort of and and you know there's the old um, cliche of nobody says goodbye on the phone they just put the phone down or, or they might sort of say goodbye as they're putting the phone down and you know it's it's not really how you have conversations with people but this was sort of the opposite. Where, like you saw the conclusion to almost every single thing, which is a bit sort of a bit yeah. strange, and lots of people playing golf. And yeah, I mean, I mean, what I liked is that loads of the people just sort of looked like normal people. They, they, you know, they, I think like Harvey Keitel like stands out as being like a movie star, and I think Jack Nicholson does as well because he's, I mean, he's so. Famous, you, you, your brain just sort of shortcuts and goes. One of those Jack Nicholson, um, but I think you know his associates in the in the detective agency, um, you know the the police captain. I, I quite like that aspect of it. Mm. It just, I mean, it wasn't like you know, you know, it, yeah, it, it just seemed a bit more uh, down to earth in some in some sort of strange sense. Well, the film starts with um, inevitably voiceover by uh, Jake Gitties about his profession as private eye and how he generally now works on divorce cases and things like mm-hmm. that. Uh, it's been ten years since the events of Chinatown, and he's now has his own agency. He's successful and comfortable, but he's also uh, apparently Nicholson deliberately gained weight for the role so that it would look like yeah he's living the good life. He's sort of yeah. He's lost his edge a bit, 
and he's just doing easy divorce cases. And he's deliberately engineered um, a situation where the husband of a woman who's cheating on him with her bus- his business partner will walk in on them mm. while they have a recording uh, set up in the next room. It's a recording on a wire. Unfortunately, it goes wrong because the husband bursts in, gets a gun from somewhere, and blows the business partner away. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good setup because um, n- not just in terms of the plot of the film, but it's a good way to distinguish it from, say, uh, uh, Marlowe, you know, who's the, I guess, the architect or, or one of the archetypes of LA mm. pri- private uh, private eyes, because Marlowe. If I'm remembering correctly, you know, doesn't do divorce cases and never really seems to succeed. Um, you know, and he's 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 quite moral. That is, he's sort of extremely moral in his in in his own sort of framework. And so, those books, Chandler's books, like he he never wins. He never kind of gets away with anything. But he, he sort of gets to survive basically, and that's the kind of more thing. Whereas this is quite nice way of. Adding a little bit to it so that it's not just Marlowe with the, the the number filed off. Yeah, and also the idea that that uh, Gitties is successful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, because Marlowe and Mike Hammer and all these other characters, they would always be working on their own. They might have contacts and things like that, but they would always just be lone wolves. Whereas Gitties has a whole business behind him. He's got assistants and a lovely office, and yeah. it's sort of a different phase in that kind of character's life. Um, now the problem here is that this podcast has been in preparation for quite a long time. So I watched this film nine months ago, and you watched it yesterday. <laughs> um, so my notes, which are barely decipherable at the best of times, might be a little bit difficult to figure out what the, what's going on in the story. Um, there's an earthquake, as you, as you say, um, and. The, uh, the the killer husband establishes a rapport with Gitties because they're both called Jake. Yeah, that's the title, and he's he's Jake Berman. Um, and can we just just, just that, that's a it's a bad title for a film, isn't it? I Unless think so. you already know what you're going you're getting in for, right? I mean, it's it's fine to have like a you know, uh, you know, it'd be a novel title in a, in a in a long running series. Uh, you know, where you, you definitely know it's about private eye, and you know, you know all this sort of stuff. But if if it's if you're just wandering past the cinema, <laughs> the two Jakes is not is not going to draw you in. I don't think Chinatown is very evocative as a title, even though the the plot actually has nothing to do with Chinatown. It sure. actually yeah, yeah. to something yeah. else in Gitty's life. Um, but it it gives you an idea of. Yeah, that's that's an intriguing setting, or what could yeah. be going on there. The two Jakes doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I mean it's not even a reference to something else that the audience might connect to. It's just it's nothing. Um, the the two men, uh, Berman and the dead man, Mark Bodine, they were business partners mm. in a real estate business, and Bodine was sleeping with Kitty Berman. Yes. Yes. I think yes, I'm yes, yes. I, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And they'd said, um, and, and oh no, well, apologies, on you. And uh, Gitties talks to his friend Lou Escobar, 
on the police, who I think was in the previous film, mm-hmm. because he's worried that he's going to get charged as an accomplice, because if it weren't for him, um, Berman wouldn't have been there to commit the murder. Yes. Berman, however, seems utterly unconcerned about being arrested and tried for murder. <laughs> yes. Um, what the hell have I written here? Um, well, uh, well, get uh, yes. Oh no, I was go- I was just going to take a stab at it. Please do. Okay, so yeah, so um, yeah, it's a series of of sort of conflicting ideas, which I thought was really kind of quite good, or conflicting motives, right? Because on the one hand, uh, uh, he can get away with the murder if it's a crime of passion, um, but uh, Gitty's is, yes, you're right, potentially uh, an accomplice, if he knew that this murder was going to happen. And so then there's a case of, well, where did the gun come from? And so was it premeditated or not? Uh, and then you uncover that the, the, the financial setup of the partnership means that the other person inherits the rights and the potential profits of, uh, well, a, a partner that dies. So, and that's not disrupted if the person kills them, or well, I mean that, that, that's sort of irrelevant. What it means is that that uh, one side st- sets to inherit, unless it was deliberate, in which case it goes to the wife, and uh, you know. So it, it's quite good, that, that, you know, of having quite a small number of characters, and they all have something to sort of screw the other person uh, over with, or for. Yeah, it's. I found it very complex. I remember at the time I found this very complex and quite hard to follow. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit tricky because, I I think it has I, again, I wasn't supr- I wasn't uh, expected to be such a sequel. You're sort of already supposed to know what some of their motivations are. Well, not 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 ne- not too much. Not not necessarily, but you're supposed to sort of know that Gittes has this past. That's tied up with uh, Mul- Mulray, is that right? Um, that family, and it's on the same bit of. We're talking about the same bit of land that's that's been talked about in Chinatown. And if you're not coming to knowing some of that stuff, it is. It is a little much, I think. At the beginning, because it, I mean, it, it does sort of reinforce things as time goes on. But yeah, the the first sort of ten or fifteen minutes, you do think. What are, what are the relationships? What's his relationship with the police? And you know who knows what about what, basically. So it, it is a little confusing, I think. Um. Mm. Um, well, Gitties has the wire recording of the, the 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 encounter and the murder itself, but he's refusing to hand it over to the various parties involved, which are the police, Berman's lawyer played by um, Eli Wallach uh, and uh, Berman's, I think, silent business partner, Mickey Nice Yes who, as his name suggests, is a horrible gangster Yes Um, and the gun they've identified, but it's registered to Bodine through their company Yeah So that's no help 
and they still don't know how the gun got in the room because they can, as far as they know, no one brought it. Um, now he's locked the the recording in the safe in his office. Which I like. I like the way that's done. The safe's in the floor under his desk. Yeah, yeah. It's. Um, I thought that was a, like, just a bit of difference from. Well, a safe is in the floor. Is in the floor. Yeah, is, is the key. Is the key thing. Uh, he has another secret safe, which is you know that shows a lot of forethought, I guess. Um, while he listens back to the recording, he remembers he hears that there's a linen company making delivery. At the time. Because there's this running thing all the way through the film of him listening to the recording over and over again, and it's seemingly him always sitting looking out of his office window at sunset and things like that. It's all. Yeah, I mean, I mean, actually, the 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 actual sort of case of it is it is quite straightforward. Or the, 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 I guess the sort of the plotting. No, the plotting of the movie is not necessarily straightforward, but but the actual uh, MacGuffin, if you like, or the kind of mechanism, is fairly straightforward once you get to sort of sit and hear it with, without any interruption or double dealing or which Red is quite, herrings. yeah which is which is good right because i mean you want the conflict i guess to come from the interactions of the characters um it, it, the, the the sort of the puzzle box aspect of it is is not really uh, well i mean you can have films where that aspect of things is 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 crucial and you know very co- complicated but um this this one works, I think. Mm. Like it, may, it it does make sense, and it's quite straightforward. But all that, as I say, red headings, double dealings, double crossings, all that sort of stuff, mean that you don't get the proper sense of it till much closer to the end. There's one plot thread where um, the uh, uh, Bodine's widow points him towards um, Earl Rawley. Mm-hmm who's an oil man who apparently has been drilling for oil under the Bodine and Berman development. Yes. Um, and that is also a red herring. He's just he's just some guy doing uh, an illegal thing. But that turns around and that's actually relevant to the end of the movie. Yes. In a kind of indirect way. In a, uh, but also what I quite like is you've got a character that you sort of think, okay, he's the guy behind all the other things. Like, he's the... He's the Stetson wearing thing, but he he just lies about what he's doing. Like you think you've uncovered yeah. it, and then he gets confronted. He goes, "Well, it's nothing to do with me." And you go, "Ah, right, okay." Yeah. Well, the murder is absolutely nothing to do with him at all. Murder's nothing to do with him. He's a criminal. Yeah. But doing but doing other stuff. Yeah. But even then, but, uh, it's quite unusual, I think, to have a story where you've got <laughs> sort of sort of a big bad, but not the big bad. Yeah. And he's, he's confronted. He, but even though that bit of the story, if you like, doesn't go anywhere else, there's, there's kind of consequences of it. Mm. But his bit of it doesn't really go anywhere else. And he just lies about it. And then he's, you know, because there's no evidence otherwise at that point. That's him done. He's out of the movie at that point. Yeah. But I think the introduction of that character is interesting. He's played by Richard Farnsworth. Right. Who I think was already an Oscar nominee. He was nominated again for The Straight Story. Okay. Uh, in 2000, which was his last film. But I think his casting is deliberate because he's reminiscent of John Huston, who was the villain of Chinatown, right. and who was a, a total monster mm. who was trying to monopolise the water of Los Angeles, and also had 
raped his daughter and fathered a child with her. Spoiler for Which then <laughs> spoilers for Chinatown. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then that comes around and is very relevant to yeah. the two Jakes. Um, and it's I think I can't remember at which point it's mentioned, but Noah Cross it's it's said at some point in the film has since died, and given that his daughter Evelyn died at the end of Chinatown, his grand his daughter slash granddaughter mm-hmm. Catherine has now inherited everything. Yes. So that's important. <laughs> um, but after Jake's been listening to the wire recording, there's another earthquake, mm-hmm. which isn't serious, but it knocks out the power to his block, and he can't open the safe to put the wire recording back in unless there's power. So he has to stay in the office all night with the wire recording and break off his date with his girlfriend, and so everything seems to have, have escalating consequences with everything else. Yeah. We we see his girlfriend, I think, a couple of times, and it's seemingly always to argue with him about him breaking commitments because he's busy with other stuff. Yes, uh, Rita. Yeah, yeah. Um, lots, um, of, lots of big here. Lots of big here in the movie. It's very forties. I mean, it all it all feels very authentic. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. It's it, it's just because it's not, and, and you know, I guess in the in the nineties. We didn't have this quite so much, but it's not uh, because it's not so stylized, I guess. Yeah, it, it just. I mean, again, the LA Confidential comparison comes in because that's so like a, a 1940s movie that they couldn't have made then because it was touching on such dicey territory, mm. but has all that that style and flair. Whereas this is also doing stuff that subject matter you couldn't touch then, but doing it in quite a flat workmanlike way yeah yeah I, I think I think flat's quite a good good description there it's not badly directed I know no, no 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 no, Nicholson's it's... clearly learned a lot from all the people he's worked uh, and as I say Going South is, is a well made good movie it's just it's like Peter Jackson doing the Hobbit trilogy he did that because there was nobody else to do it and that was the only way that could get made and it felt like Nicholson stepped in to direct the two Jakes because no one else was going to do it. No one else could do it. I guess. I, and, he, I, and he wanted it done. Yeah. But I guess, you know, when you have a power dynamic like that, then who is their on site to say, should we give that another go? Or, like, let's, let's rethink this, that or the other. You know, like, you know, who's going to... I mean, he's the director, he's producing it, he's, um, uh, he's the... The, the main character, uh, he's in every scene. He, you know, that, that's a that's a tricky power dynamic that I think very rarely serves a film well. To be for for the yeah. person in charge to be so powerful that nobody nobody's able to say. I mean, I'm not maybe maybe this didn't happen, but it, it does seem like you get those power dynamics where nobody's able to say this is this isn't as good as we could do. Let's go again or let's try something different. Mm. You know, because you know. He's a, he's a good actor, right? I, I, oh yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's you know that's not a contentious idea, but but know. he had he had dozens of films behind him as an actor, and two as a director. Mm. Uh, Jake is uh, he gets uh, information from one of his sources that uh, Berman has been seen with a blonde woman going around with Mickey Nice and a bodyguard. 
and that turns out that the woman is actually uh, a cancer specialist and that Berman has is terminally ill. Yeah. You do yeah, yeah. You don't get confirmation of that till quite later. No, on. I'm jumping yeah. I'm jumping around quite a lot because I have no idea what I've written down. No, but it makes sense within the it makes sense within the if you're laying out the plot. This this is why he's not bothered uh, about losing things. And in fact it turns out that knowing that he was ill is what caused the he basically ignored his wife for several months, which which drove her um, uh, to his partner. In part, so part of that was genuine. Like it wasn't, it was, he was setting everything up, but her, or part of her part in it, was genuine. She wasn't in on the conspiracy. So he was he was deliberately driving her towards this affair. Uh, yes. In a way. Yes. Ah. Because if she was part of the conspiracy, she wouldn't. She would. She wouldn't have inherited. She'd have gone to jail as well. Yeah. So, she was. But this way, but this way, she, the two of them would have total control over the business. Uh, and if and if he went and after his death, she would have, she'd own the whole thing. Yes. Yes. I mean, I mean, that's ambiguous as well because she was. She wasn't trying to divorce him. No, but it, when he dies, oh, oh yeah, 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 but but it's it's not quite as squeaky clean because she's not she's not necessarily completely innocent or completely in the dark because she doesn't try to divorce him afterwards. No, after 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 the the shooting, I mean. It's mentioned uh, early on that Berman is Jewish because he and. Um, Gitties are playing golf and Gitties is surprised that he's been allowed on the course mm. um, and then later when uh, Gitties meets him at the, um, the housing development where they're showing potential buyers around uh, Berman mentions that um, they're not selling to Mexicans or Jews yeah yeah I, I mean th- there's really only that comes into it but, but really not very much and of course every you know they don't go into anything about like segregation or anything like that in the golf club um, the caddies are black and really and they're the only black black actors but but, and they're not even really characters because they're just the caddies but but, yeah I mean it, it doesn't go into doesn't really kind of go into the social side of things too much. It, th- th- I mean, that's not entirely true. That the, there's the, the sort of the secret gay club. Um, yeah. But even that, it, it. I mean, it kind of pre- presents it as a thing, and there's the, the suggestion that he's going to be set up by a vice cop if he doesn't. Like Gitties, that is, will be set up. You know, uh, you know, as, as having groped a, an undercover vice cop um, if he doesn't play along. Um, and in a sort of slightly bit, slightly unusual bit, where they go to the, the sort of preliminary hearing at court, that just gets laughed out of court. So everybody's aware how <laughs> how corrupt vice is, and uh, or or how ridiculous that situation is, and that just gets tossed out, yeah. which is quite strange. It's, it's almost as though like all the, all the characters in the court saw the previous movie, 
and know that Gitties isn't gay. <laughs> so I thought, well, clearly this isn't true, because we, we watched Chinatown, and he wasn't gay in that. Case dismissed. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, sli- it's a slightly odd bit, because, no, because nothing comes of that. It, 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 because it's, it's the, 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 the DA, um, if I'm using that terminology correctly, sort of raises this as an objection because they're saying, well, he, he's on parole, because, you know, and, and so we can't rely on anything he says, but he's on parole because of this vice issue. And it's clear, at least it, it's apparently clear to everyone in the, cop, uh, in, in, the, in the court, well, that's just, he's just being blackmailed. It's just obvious that he's been blackmailed by Vice, so that gets chucked out, we'll move on. <laughs> it's a, it, but it's such a weird thing because it's in some sense self-contained and, and you know, arguably a sort of wasted two minutes of screen time. It's very, it's, yeah. Yeah. As he, um, he goes to the club to meet a contact mm-hmm. um, who's actually played by Tracy Walter, who's a very good friend of Nicholson's, who also plays the Joker's henchman Bob in Batman. Okay. Um, which was released while this was being filmed. Um, and I think that's part of the thread involving Earl Rawley and the meaning of the word whipstocking, which turns out to be something to do with um, like drilling diagonally under someone else's land, mm. which is what he's been doing, to suck out all the oil from underneath the development. And that ties in to, while Gitties is out there on the development, someone I think if someone smells gas or something or makes some comment about it, and Gitties is just outside and he's gone to sit on a well with a little um, wooden cap on it. And he lights a cigarette, sets off an explosion which blows him halfway through the air and knocks him unconscious. Mm. Yeah. And that's almost the only stylized bit of the movie is the slow motion shot of Gitties' body flying overhead over the camera. Yes, that's a, I, I guess that's a good point, yeah. Which is a nice, And then he wakes up and... Berman's sort of looking over, and Berman seems to be genuinely quite concerned about it. Mm. Um, and he meets um, Kitty Berman, his wife, for the first time. And Jake's fine. He's you know, been, you know, had his bell run a bit, but he's basically fine. And then he just drives home. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, he mentions, I think, that he he tells Catherine that he didn't recognise her. I can't remember at which point you're supposed to realise this, but she's Catherine Mulray. Uh, I, I don't think you're supposed to recognise it until they have the conversation much later on where she comes to him and she's got the um, uh, flower... Uh, I can't remember if it's an earring or a, a brooch. It's caught up in her hair with the, the multicoloured flower caused by burning the seeds because he goes to the as was butler of the Mulrays oh yes who won't because he's trying to he's trying to find her because her name comes up on the tape in some ambiguous context just the name comes up so he seeks out um, the butler who who won't tell him where she is and tells him to leave it and there's the the, the flowers that are changed colour because you toast the seeds essentially that gives them different colours. She's got a... I mean, this, I guess, really only happens in the movies where she has your jewellery that's just like that. Um, uh, and I, I think that's the bit at which you're supposed to notice. Because 
I mean, maybe you would know beforehand also, but, but it, you know, he never goes... It's not quite as black and white as him going, Aha! You're her! Because she knows she's her. I thought that was actually quite well done. He talks about her and, and you know, um, what's happened since. And and it's it's good and, I guess, more realistic within the, within the context of the film. But again, it's that tricky issue... If you haven't seen Chinatown, or you haven't remembered Chinatown, or you're not prepared for this to be a sequel sequel, it's quite hard to to sort of get into the flow of why this is important or why why it's why it's so important, I guess. Yeah. He um he goes into his desk and pulls out a letter from Evelyn and there's a, I think he, it's read out in Faye Dunaway's voice. I think it's actually Faye Dunaway came back to re-record it. Yes, yes, I think that's right. Um, and it's sort of a sign of his sort of regrets about the, the past and how he failed to save her life and failed to rescue young Catherine from her, her uh, father. But it's strange because there's, you know, there's no flashback to the, to the girl. So you no. get you get a bit confused as to because that would give it away. I mean that's true, but at the same time, you you don't quite understand what he's chasing, unless you remember. Again, not a problem if you're watching these, um, you know, very clearly as a sequel, and and I guess perhaps you know, having a trilogy would have cemented that as, as you know this is a kind of. Well, it's a trilogy, but it's you know kind of one piece of work almost. But when you've just got a sort of follow up that doesn't let people in very easily, mm. it's a it's a you know it's a, it's okay. It resolves itself, I guess, but but it's a wee bit tricky, I think. Um, Mickey Nice comes to his office with a uh, <laughs> with a hand grenade, which he puts in Jake's hand and then pulls the pin out. Yeah. I, I was. I, I kept. I mean, all through that scene, I kept thinking about the dynamics of that. Like, <laughs> I mean, you could you could just drop that out of the window. Well, maybe not drop it out the window because you know there's you know people below. Um, I mean, I guess they have actually already established that there is a car park below um, in yeah. the early bit of the film. But but more, okay. Well, if he drops it, what's going to happen to the other people in the room? Like, how is that really a threat? <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of works in the rhythm of the... Because, because what happens is it's it's a smoke grenade. Yeah. Right? They, they instruct him that he has to drop that into the safe. It'll destroy the evidence and they'll leave him alone if he does. And he does act on that. But... And it's a smoke grenade and, and whatever. But... Um, yeah, I just... I, not really the intention of it, but I just all through that scene, I was thinking, does this work? Does this hold up as a threat? I don't think it. I don't think it even holds up really much as a plot point because Nice wants the recording, so he goes to this this pantomime. Oh no, but I, of, but I, I, yeah, I I do like this bit though actually because it just reveals where the the safe is, and then because it's a smoke grenade, he can toss that. And retrieve the thing. I quite like that. I thought that was quite clever. That it's you know he's not destroying the evidence. He's he's getting it for himself. 
I, I quite like that. I think that was good. All oh, right, yeah, he's yeah, because that then gives him leverage against Berman. He thinks. Yeah. Um, but it's not in the safe, and Jake says that Weinberger, Berman's lawyer, has the recording. Mm-hmm. But Mickey and I says that he wants he wants it as soon as as soon as he can get hold of it. Um. Oh, this is hard work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, again, I mean, it is quite. A, I, I think it's a good plot, and I, and I can, you know, imagine it as a as a novel where you'd be able to sort of. I think take it would work better off. as a novel. Yeah, because it's it's something that you can leave to sit for a while. You're not going to be consuming the whole thing in one go. You can read it and then go away mm. and think about it and put the pieces together for yourself. But also. It, it, I mean, one of the things that is a little tricky is that because you've got so many double crosses, people trying to do one thing to their advantage or to someone else's disadvantage, it's quite confusing as to know who you're investing in. You sort of think, well, okay, it's 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 Gitty's right because he's the main character, and and we'll and we'll, and we're following him through everything. Um, but then you don't because because. Um, Berman is uh, uh, sort of acting weirdly and it's weird it's acknowledged that he's acting strangely for you know in terms of the other, the other characters in the film acknowledge that this is an oddity that sort yeah. of starts to drive things but as a as a, a viewer you're sitting there going I, I don't have enough of a handle on the characters to know whether they like is this weird <laughs> is this weird for, is it supposed to be as weird for me as it is, or oh, okay, the, the characters seem to say this is weird, but I don't, I don't understand what their situation is necessarily because it's all about double crosses. So, how do they know it's weird rather than? I mean, they're just telling you it is. Yeah. I realise that sentence. I've just uh, that last. How do these characters? Seconds. How do these characters know that Berman is behaving oddly? Um, without the audience knowing that the characters saying this have some ulterior motive they're trying to make other people think that Berman is behaving oddly yes yes because um, um, Bodine's uh, wife again you're like is she I mean it's it's quite good because you you sort of think okay right she's going to be the sort of femme fatale character we kind of move away from that and then sort of think well this guy's going to be shady but perhaps not or you know this good you know Things sort of changing is good. It kind of keeps your interest, but then you don't really have a solid foundation of what things were supposed to be, what things are supposed to be like. So you don't know what bits are heightened or not. And I think that mm. I think that makes it quite hard to um, yeah to, to decide sort of who you're investing in in terms of your sort of brain power. Um. Yeah, she wants Bodine to go to prison. And she offers a deal to the lawyer that she could take five million from the land deal. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> We've lost the tra- track of who, who's saying what. <laughs> Lillian Berman, Lillian Bodine. See, yeah, everyone's got, yeah, everyone's exactly. Got the same yeah, okay. Yes, um, yes. So the dead man's wife uh, wants uh, uh, his partner five. Berman uh, yeah. uh, put away for murder. So if Gitty's can provide that evidence that it was premeditated then uh, 
but but the, but for him the issue is he has to provide the evidence that it was premeditated, but that he did not know about it at the time. So he's not going away for a conspiracy. Yeah. So he's and also oh, sorry. and also he can't use information against his client if he was employed by the client at the time that he got the information. Because apparently that's against the law. Uh, I think yeah. I think we'll just have to take that as an in-universe bit of law. Yeah. If you if you find out something that implicates your client while they're employing you, you can't use that against them. But then you could just you could just tip off the cops, I suppose. I mean, it's all it's all tip-offs, isn't it? Yeah. Ah. (laughs) <laughs> we should have done, I mean in weather like this we should have done like something a lot simpler <laughs> should have done carry on Columbus now yeah um, uh, but then um, oh yeah L- uh, Lillian Bodine has a, a fit and she gets all hysterical and yeah she has a, like a whole seizure uh, yeah I think that's the worst bit of uh, well I'm not going to say it's the worst bit of acting because because I, I, it goes to my. Uh, it's something I think all the time is that you can't do hysterical, on film. Or it's very, very difficult to do well. That and giddy with excitement. Are incredibly yeah. difficult things, and and. Um, I, I don't think I've seen anyone pull it off. Um, so sort of losing control and kind of beating your fists and things like that just, I think looks mad. So I'm not. I'm not saying that. It's from a bad actor, but I think it is. A, again, you sort of think, "Oh, did they maybe see that that footage?" You go, "I think maybe, maybe give this one another go, or maybe maybe try a different way of doing it." Because it's it's yeah. She 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 says she doesn't want to hear it, but then sort of wrestles Jack Nicholson <laughs> away from the. From the recorder or the yeah. the, the speaker, like it, you, you know, this the the the, the it, it's not particularly kinetic. So, like everybody's got plenty of time to resolve the situation, but but the, but the legit, it's it's like it's like stunt stunt work that has gone wrong, and you realize, oh, that yeah. doesn't make sense. There's no, co- it's not a continuity issue, but it just doesn't. It's mad. It's sort of. I think a problem is that you have. Madeline Stowe, who is relatively slight, having to wrestle big burly Jack Nicholson across the room, and you have to make that look convincing. But, and, and in the and, wrong direction. Yeah. She but wrestles well, him away from the... She doesn't want to hear... He's not blocking the... That's the thing, it's, it's, it's like a, a, the setup is wrong. He's not, he's not blocking access to things. He's sitting to the side of it, so she... So if she didn't want to hear it, she could reach over and stop the tape. And he might well, I, try and stop her or whatever, but it's weird. The wrestling is sort of away and onto the ground at a different bit of the office. It's sort of... I think I if think you cut that clip out and showed it to people and sort of tried to do a poll, it's like, now, is this from a comedy or a, a, a you know, an adult sort of thriller, uh, you know, crime story? People sort of think, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I think that the logic is that she's... She's not in her right mind as this is happening, and she's just lashing out at at, at Gitties. It's 
I mean, that's what they're going for. Particularly good. It, I, I think. I think that's what they're going for. It still doesn't really make a lot of sense because because she's not thinking clearly. Mm. There is sort of a, a, an internal logic to it, but we didn't need that. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of extra stuff. Like I said, there's red herrings. There's all this extra stuff mm-hmm. all over the place in this film that clouds everything else, and it's clouding the the case that Jake's investigating by giving him all these dead dead ends and blind alleys and and red mm. herrings and things. But it's also making the film increasingly hard to follow, and 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 longer and longer. Yeah, so sort of less and less I'm, snappy. I'm looking here at the running time, two hours, 18 minutes, mm. and you feel every one of them. Yeah, yeah, it's... Um, I mean, nowadays, like, editing seems to be much sort of shorter, like, everything does seem to be a bit more sort of frantic, but I think even in 1990, it's quite... Yeah, it's quite... Godfather Part 3 came out in 1990, and that's only 20 minutes longer than this. And that's a sort of some yeah. multi-generational crime epic. Yeah, you know, yeah. And and that's yeah, supposedly the worst one, and it's still fine. <laughs> it's like oh, Indiana Jones: The Kingdom of Crystal Skull. Oh, it's it's the worst Indiana Jones film. Yeah, but it's like better than almost any other film of that type. I, I might disagree with there about the Crystal Skull, but How, oh, you think it's the best Indiana Jones? Film? <laughs> yeah, just edit it so that it seems like I'm saying that Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull is the best Indiana Jones film. <laughs> um, yeah, you haven't seen the Richard Chamberlain version of um, King Solomon's Mines, which is very not good. Uh, there's loads. There's loads of these eighties Indiana, Indiana Jones knockoffs, and almost all of them are dreadful. I, well, yeah. I mean, we could, uh, it's a whole other podcast to discuss why Indiana Jones works and other things like that don't. Um, and you know, it, it largely can't be boiled down to, you know, Harrison Ford is ace. You know, he's really good. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the the only one I think that really worked was uh, *Romancing the Stone*, and that was because it was sufficiently different. Mm, mm. It, st- it still has that treasure hunting plot, but it has a different background to it. It's not yeah. about an archaeologist; it's about a romance novelist yeah. who's drawn into one of her own plots. *The First Mummy* is good. It's not funny enough. No, or is, or is it too funny? It's one or the other. <laughs> it has the wrong amount of comedy. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Have you seen the Have you seen the Tom Jones Mummy? No. Oh, it's very bad. Um, Jake meets with um, Tyrone Otley, and I think he was the surveyor of the uh, the, the 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 land, and that tips him off to Earl Rawley. And then he le- later meets Otley again, and that's at the gay nightclub. Yes, I think that's he, yes, right. He, um, I think that's right as well. It's a, yeah. It's a, some of it has already faded from memory as to how he meets the people he meets or how he makes some of the connections. Uh. But but again, I think I think that's quite. That was one of the bits I quite liked because again, Raleigh is just lying about trying to sneakily steal all the royal. Like he's confronted with it, and he goes, "No, no, nothing to do with me." And then you go, "Okay, right, well." 
Oh, okay, must be some deeper mystery. No, no, there is deeper mystery no, about the murder, but also this bad guy is doing bad guy things in the background. Um, and there'll be no resolution to that, really. But Well, it's, I mean, like with the, the vice cops entrapping people, there's just this undercurrent of there's corruption everywhere. All the nice, all the nice stuff, all the nice design and all the fashions, everything, that's all surface. Mm-hmm. And underneath, it's all just rotten. Yeah. And Jake Gitties, who's despite being you know in quite a nice position now you know he's very insistent that he's only got a six handicap at golf and everything mm-hmm. he's basically a dirt monger yeah i mean he knows that the you know that the profession he's in is not well considered but even he himself says you know he's was it he says he's he's the uh, leper with the most fingers yeah like he's got his own you know, he's the, he's the best at that sort of thing. He's the most reputable. Um, I mean, it is kind of interesting to see a city that has these, I think I'm using the right word here, but um, oil derricks that are just yeah. in the city, just pumping away. Yeah. Um, I, have, you, have you been to Los Angeles? No. Um, I have, and it is very weird going hmm. through these metropolitan suburban areas, and there's just oil wells there. Yeah. At the end of suburban streets, it's mm. so odd. And I've seen some of the buildings they've built around some of them. There's the, uh, I mean, we've got the, we've got the in, in London. There's the uh, the sort of the fake buildings that that house access to um, the underground. Whereas um, oh, yes. in LA, they've got fake buildings that house oil derricks. Um, you know, you drive past them, and it's not it's not it's not a real building. It's just so that it doesn't look like. It's just frontage, so yeah, yeah. it looks attractive. Yeah, yeah. but you know, it's a, I mean, that that means it's an interesting s- setting, mm. uh, certainly. Um. So the the vice cop tries to entrap um, Gitties to get the wire recording out of him, um, but that <laughs> that goes incredibly badly because Gitties responds by punching him in the face. And making him suck his own gun. <laughs> uh, yes, and that guy's father is the killer of um, Faye Dunaway's I'm sorry. character in the first yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. He and he he actually wets himself. Yeah. In the precinct, and this happens in the precinct, and Gitties just gets away with it because I thought, yeah, that guy was being a dick. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit strange. Um, nice like little... No one else in the precinct likes him. Thought, so, yeah, let's pretend that didn't happen. It's fine. Yeah, it's a bit strange because you, you know there's a I guess a sort of aspect of it that there's a kind of generational corruption. Um, you, or, you know, the, the, this isn't getting any better at least. Um, yeah. But then there's a sort of strange resolution to that, I guess. Um, and a nice little cameo from Tom Waits. That's quite good. Oh yeah. I don't think he's credited, but, um, but no, he isn't. It's definitely Tom Waits. Yeah, it's definitely him. Um, the uh, the court order comes through for the wire recording. Um, at the same time, um, as 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 it's being played again, again we hear the sound of the the linen delivery company, and it's Berman's company, I think. Uh, no, is that is it not uh, uh, nice Mickey's? Oh yeah, Mickey Nice. Mickey Nice. <laughs> nice Mickey. Nice Mickey. Mickey Nice. Um, and later on, we see another of these linen trucks at the Berman house, 
So um, Jake puts together that the chair where the gun was hidden was actually delivered earlier by the uh, linen people. Yeah. So Mickey Nice was involved in setting everything up so that there could be a gun in the room so the murder could take place. Um, so, <laughs> so Jake responds to this by going for a round of golf with uh, Jake Berman. Yeah. Again, it's it's like yeah, Jack Nicholson likes playing golf. Let's have a few golf scenes in the movie. I, I mean, the thing is, it it, it, it all makes sense. It, it I, I mean, the, the, there aren't big leaps. I mean, there's you know, he watches things out, and and you know, different people do different things, and it's kind of clashes and things like that. But it, it does sort of make sense. But it it did make it feel like. Ooh, I mean, nowadays you know maybe this could have been like a really sort of like a kind of television thing like maybe a, a sort of multi-part series you know yeah. production values and, and you could sort of break up the story a little bit whereas this is yeah as you say it, sort of, it really feels like the two plus hours and actually if it was a television series it would have had that much more space to breathe mm-hmm. because it's like trying to you know trying to pour four pints into a two pint jug there's so much here and yet, if you cut out all the extraneous stuff, all the, the deliberate false leads and red herrings, it would fit quite neatly mm. into that time. It's just it's overcomplicated itself without letting the important stuff have the space that they need. Everything is given equal weight, regardless of how relevant it is to the actual murder case. And because Gittes is the only point of view character yeah, he's, he's in, he's in the, everything. He's the protagonist, he, and he's the only one who has... He's, he's, and is the narrator, of course. Yeah. And he has the god's eye view as much as he can. Yeah. But it means Certainly that it story. means that you have to follow him through every aspect of piecing it together and working it out and concluding it, everything. So you don't get any. You don't get a break at any point. No, Kath, uh, Berman says that Catherine Mulray suggested that handing over her land, but she now can't be contacted. Um, and Berman starts to tell a joke about a one-legged golfer, but then collapses and is taken to hospital. Mm. I think bit... that's that's the part where we start to realise that he's actually got something seriously wrong with him. Well, he's had a bit of a coughing act. fit earlier. I think when they yeah. when they first meet at the um, the model homes, um, at the development itself, he has a bit of a coughing thing. Um, which, of course, you know, in movies, like, well, you don't leave in little yeah. things like that if it, if it isn't uh, uh, an issue. Um, Jake meets with Kitty at home, uh, and she wants the wire recording, of course. And it turns out that Catherine Mulray owns the mineral rights to the land, and therefore the oil, mm-hmm. which would give her a motive to want to get... Bodine and Berman both out of the way at which point um, Rita, Jake's girlfriend finally turns up and Jake puts it all together and realises that Kitty Berman is Catherine Mulray Mm. but he just didn't recognise her which would she have changed that much in the intervening decade? It's a different actor <laughs> well, that would help. I mean, yeah. that doesn't really work in real life. Well, I mean, she she's a child in the first one, 
and it's supposed to be 11 years later and yeah. she's dyed her hair and she hides behind dark glasses certainly the first bit so really it's the first time he's had a proper chat with her it's it, it, it's for, for something for a twist like that I think it's as good as you get I think in film right because yeah I mean that's a, that's a tricky one mm. like you couldn't do it with the same actor I don't think I think people's faces are too recognized yeah it, it, it's odd it, 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 you know it might stretch credibility a little bit and it definitely works in its favour that it is it is legitimately set a, a long time later yeah and the film itself comes out a long time later. Well, yeah, I mean that accounts for the the difference in Nicholson's appearance as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, th- I think um, they do sell it, sell it quite well. Yeah. Um, but it's the kind of thing where now, like, if you you know, if you're something like Marvel or you know, DC or whatever, you'd already have a plan to have a film in between those two films. Like, so that yeah. it only comes back in the third one. You know, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't immediately follow it up. Nowadays, people have like, you know these longer term plans, but think, okay, and this is what this is the film where we rest that plot point, and then you bring it back again, and it has more sort of resonance later on. Well, you know, there was a a five year gap between the two Doctor Strange films, of course. Uh, but he was in, I think, at least three other films in the meantime. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, I guess Marvel is is the. Other people to look at when you when you're thinking about this sort of thing, where they yeah. they do really plan it out and they're going okay, and then the TV series will slot in here, you know. But they but they craft it so well, it's in the sense of you don't actually have to have seen this bit, and a character will definitely mention in this next film the the you know the the, the bit of information that you need to know. There'll be a you yeah. know, somebody doing an exposition, or you know there'll be a you know, have something explained to them or whatever. Um, I mean, not not everyone can be Marvel, of course, but no, I mean DC knows that very well. <laughs> I think everybody does. Um, um, so we finally have the evidentiary hearing, with Jake having turned over the the wire recording, and it's played back. But we have these little flashbacks to show that Jake has actually edited it mm. to remove Mulray's name completely, yeah. so it's just the sound of two people at it you know you know the way they are yes it's well i mean that takes us right back to the start it's quite odd to have so <laughs> this is sort of well if you like it's a sex scene but it's an incredibly out of it's it's a defocused sex scene when the title credits are coming up yeah it's quite an odd uh yeah well, it's, 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 it's i mean i'm not saying it's bad or anything it's just it's just quite i mean it establishes right from the start this is not this is not sort of a light-hearted adventure, I guess. Um, this is a film. I mean, particularly, it's it's having this this sex scene, but it's so um, dispassionate that we're, that it's it's you know out of focus and everything, and we we fade through to a camera, mm. and it's Jake behind Jake Gitty's behind the camera, and then narrating. So it's it's from the point of view of an observer in a professional capacity, getting no pleasure from this. It's all very... No one's enjoying themselves. No. 
No, I mean the only, I mean, really only Bodine, and he's going to stop enjoying himself real fast. Yes, yes. I mean, actually, I mean, in the whole film, nobody is having much fun. Well, no, they live in a horrible, corrupt world. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the only person who's seems at any point to be sort of happy or satisfied is Khan, the the manservant for the yeah. Mulrays who Jake spoke to, who seems, you know, despite telling Jake, you know, mind your own business and push off, is actually very polite and quite friendly. Yeah. Nice Mickey, or Mickey Nice, or whoever. He well, seems to like his work. He hurts people. Yeah, but he seems oh, to yeah, enjoy, he enjoys himself. People in the nightclub seem to be having a nice time until the cops showed up. That's true, and and uh, and he he owns the nightclub. So, you know, yeah, he's, he's doing good business. He's got the laundry business. Yeah, be a, be a gangster. That's the take-home message. That's no, that's not the message, listener. Please don't go into organised crime. But if you are in it, enjoy what you do. Or the well, or actually, actually the, the the baddies do seem to. I mean, um, Raleigh, he's enjoying himself. He's incredibly. He's a well criminal as well. He, he just hasn't got caught. Yeah, yeah, but he's enjoying it. He's he's in charge of things. He's got all the money. He gets to wear his hat. Um, you don't have to be a criminal to wear a hat. No, I own a hat. Well, yeah, but uh, I'm just saying he's he's having as much fun in this movie as it seems possible to have. Well, anyway, the um. But having played back the recording, and it's it it's really not evidence of anything. Mm-hmm. It's only evidence of what people of what the other characters already know. So that's that's that really. And without any further evidence, there's no uh, evidence of premeditation against Berman, which means he's um, if his death can't be premeditated, then all charges must have to be dropped against him. Uh, well, they, they, I mean, they don't get quite to that stage. I mean, it's just the. I mean, that that's probably what's going to happen. But the the, it's going to go to the next stage. This is just the preliminary hearing, so we'll go yeah. to the next bit. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It, it means that he's a Berman's in good position, and um, Budin's wife sort of has nothing basically. Yeah. Um. Gittys goes to visit Berman on his his tract housing again in his in his little show house, mm. and um, Berman has lots of regrets. I mean, he had he had cash issues. He was built. He wanted to build these houses like a sort of a, like a permanent part of the world for himself. Uh, but his partner was blackmailing him about Kitty's background, and. Um, he knew that he would have to go through all this to uh, uh, to secure the future for it if he died. Um, and we have the whole thing about finding out that the, the whole thing about the, the blonde woman and turning out that she was an oncologist. So the, the, the blackmail wasn't connected to that. And it's all just all these other everything else. It's all yeah. gets pulled together. Um, and there's another earthquake uh, while they're there. Which is severe enough to actually break the pipes, um, but the problem is that the pipes aren't leaking water. They're leaking oil and gas. No, uh, they're leaking gas because that's the thing that's underneath that where um, Raleigh's been hollowing it out, mm. and that the oil under the land. Um, Raleigh was working with 
Bodine to try and extract it. Yes, because yes, because Mulray retains the mineral rights. Yeah, so that's where the whip stocking was coming in to d- to drill down diagonally, yes. starting on his own land. So that was a more more double dealing, which isn't connected to the main plot, but it's just oh yeah, and they're also doing these other terrible things. Yeah, I suppose I suppose it does establish that Berman, for whatever he's done and is doing, is still the lesser evil, I guess. He's yeah, he's not. I say he's not a bad person. He is a bad person because he set up his own business partner to be killed. But yeah, he's the least worst person. Yeah, he's he's nice to everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's a. Yeah, I guess that's a win in this situation. But yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. He's. He he's, he has some like the, sort of intentions that are. He's like the Punisher. He only kills the bad people. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, he 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 has come up with a. A plan, that he knows he's not going to benefit from. In the long run, but his wife but his, will. But his wife will, and he genuinely loves her. Yes. Which is nice. Despite her horrible background and everything. Um, but now that he knows that he, he's going to be cleared of this and uh, Catherine will inherit the whole thing, he says that he's just going to stay in the house and have a smoke. So yeah. <laughs> Gitties and Mickey notice also that pile out of the house, drive away as fast as they can. And once they're some distance away, the house explodes in a gigantic fireball. Well, it's a, it's sort of, it's sort of. There's a fireball, and then another explosion. Because there's the first bit, it sort of pops. I mean, maybe this is more realistic, right? I don't know. <laughs> Never blown up a house uh, with leaking gas, but but there's a sort of. Um, I, I'd be interested to see what, 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 how they did, uh, you know, whether they decided the first bit wasn't enough, because the first bit explodes and it, you know, has obviously torched everything within the house, and then there's a. A shot from further away, where there's a proper Hollywood, kablam, kablooey explosion that just destroys the set, basically. It's as though um, it first ignited the gas that was in the house, and then perhaps a pocket of gas that was underneath. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but um, it's just it's. I, I, but, I did find it quite funny the way that that was sort of structured. But um, the the area is completely annihilated and Berman is obviously dead mm-hmm. because he's, there's no way he could have got further, you know, f- far enough away even if he had tried to fake it. And crucially the, the idea or the implication is that there'll be no autopsy no. and therefore they won't be able to connect the chain of um, uh, well, I guess foresight and, and planning that put all of this in motion so it will seem like he just died in an accident therefore Kitty gets to inherit the murders are relevant yeah, Kitty. Kitty will inherit the whole business yeah. and yeah. the mineral rights, and she can proceed from there. Um, so she goes to visit Jake in his office in the final scene, and they talk about mortality, and she asks for his forgiveness, and Jake replies that he would do anything for her um, because uh, their relationship, I think, mirrors, mirrors that in the first film. It's not 
paternalistic, but it's very much he feels protective of her because of all that she's been through. Mm. Um, and regarding the past, she asks him, does it ever go away? And she makes a move on him as well. Yes. Which he quite firmly rejects because it's weird. Yeah. I mean, the bit where she's asking if the past goes away, I, I think I think I was sort of flagging a little bit because we're, we're two hours into it at that point. Yeah. And my sort of, my immediate sarcastic thought was, it probably would help if you moved more than 10 miles away. <laughs> if you're some hugely yeah. wealthy landowner, maybe maybe go to France or something for a bit, or just another state, or anything. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah. do you think the past will go away if I hang around on the same family land and get involved in more land deals? I think, no, probably not. Probably not. Sorry about that. She leaves and asks that he think of her at some point. And as, as she's going down the stairs, Jake comes out of his office and says, no, it never goes away. Yeah. And, it, and it, it just goes back in and then it ends. It's, it's, got in, it's an interesting film. It's got interesting ideas. There's lots of stuff. It's not short of material. No. But it's true. just... It, it lacks the human element. It lacks enough humanity to really engage with what you're watching in an emotional way because everything's so poised and, it, and there's so much deliberate emphasis I think on surface and uh, covering up all the nasty stuff that's underneath mm. and I think that forms a barrier to the audience getting emotionally invested because people are deliberately putting up this front that oh no everything's fine and yeah, this, yeah. this disaffected um, side and, and also because I mean the, all, all the sort of pe- like Gitty's personal life is only an annoyance, right? I mean, Re- Rita is fiance, I think. Oh yes, yeah. I say yeah, fiance. She returns the ring. Is only a sort of a voice at the end of the phone for most of it, um, annoying him basically or pestering him. I mean, she's not wrong because he's ignoring her and not doing you know whatever. But I just mean in, te- in terms of the film. Yeah. She's just like another person getting on at him to do something else, and he can't do to everything at once. So I, I think it's, you know, it's 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 long for a film because it's not snappy. But if you did it, say, as some sort of prestige, uh, you know, um, a TV sort of event, you'd be able to spend a bit more time of, him, you, you know, showing his, I guess, personal life. You know that then gets interrupted or, or disrupted by the other things, right? Whereas, as soon as you're into the the case, like everything, everything's about that, except for this sort of, you know, having Rita be there, but sort of just as again in terms of the film, a sort of an irritant. Yeah, it's it's odd. It it, it doesn't quite hit one or the other, um, which is. A shame because you know there is lots of good stuff there, and I think the plot itself is pretty good. Um, but you know you've got, you know, the housing development is just sort of two houses, so that aspect of it's quite small. Um, yeah, so I've it's, got it's, a note. I've got a note that says that the film's puzzle feels like it's the picture of a puzzle. Okay, it's like it's one remove away from. 
itself. Well, I mean, I mean, for me, it just it's not really epic, and it's not really intimate. It, again, it sort of falls between those two things, you know. Yeah. This this is not like a, a big sweeping thing of like, oh, here's LA, here's the thing, and you know, we're just, you know, yeah, we we follow it through one person's eyes, let's say, but you know, it it gives you a, a big broad understanding of things. I mean, it touches on that. It's 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 I think kind of going for that, um, or at the same time, it's not so intimate that you really sort of dig into what the characters are like and what drives them and, and why they're in the positions that they are. Again, it goes for a bit of that, but putting putting them both together, uh, for me at least, it sort of fails to really deliver on, on either. Mm. It could have been an epic of the making of Los Angeles. Mm, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. This, this, this sprawling city of all these landscapes and all the corruption there. Um, like all the, um, we know about some stuff that's going off at the side. Like, oh yeah, there's corrupt vice cops and that's going on somewhere else and it's some other story. And then there's the whip stocking stuff and that's, some, that's also another story that's not really relevant but it's also happening somewhere else. It could have been about everything but it doesn't have the right level of focus and the right level of scale. Yeah. Jack Nicholson wasn't the right person to direct this. No, no. But again, you know, going back to LA Confidential, um, James Elroy's books are very intricate, or kind of the later ones certainly are big and have a huge range of characters and stuff, and they really are talking about LA and all the different things, and it's covering thematically similar things, and it's, uh, you know, it looks at similar time periods. Um, but very, very, very hard to reduce that down to a, to, to a movie. And so early Confidential, one of the amazing things is, you know, how, how did they, how they stripped out so much of the book and refined things to the point where it made sense as a two-hour movie mm. and, and also was incredibly good and stylish and all that sort of thing as well. But even just the plot, the getting it down to what you need on screen to, to, to make sense of it. Whereas, whereas this one, yeah, just did, just, didn't quite get there. I mean, it's not bad. You know, it's 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 um, it's not a bad movie. Um, but it's not a particularly good one. No, no. Jack Nicholson hasn't directed since then, and he hasn't actually acted on screen in the last twelve years, uh, seemingly to now be happily retired. Yeah, I mean, I, I would put the, <laughs> that all at this, uh, at the feet of this. I mean, even the directing. I mean, I mean, you know, even someone like Jack Nicholson probably doesn't get, wouldn't have been offered, you know, the chance to direct big Hollywood movies every now and then. And also, he no. probably wasn't interested in directing smaller things. Um, you know, you get to a certain level. I think people. But I, I can imagine that he, if if the two Jakes had been successful, it might have given him the clout to direct other films that might have been of interest. Sure, sure. But but it didn't deserve to be successful. It might not deserve to have no. flopped, but it didn't deserve to be some... No, no, no. Um, I mean, uh, but I'm, I'm just saying, if it had been, if it had caught on, yeah, I, I think the, the fact that it didn't and the fact that it wound up being a financial and critical disappointment kind of put the kibosh on any more directing from Nicholson. It kind of... You know, Maybe he felt that it wasn't worth the effort anymore. Maybe yeah. studios wouldn't have the confidence to entrust him with a budget that he would have to their manager's director. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it 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 sort of it put an ending to his career behind the camera. But also, I think I think there's a sort of um, a kind of culture or an expectation that um, actors and directors just keep going and keep going, you know. But actors do retire and stop, and I mean. Jack Nicholson is, you know, he wasn't hurting for acclaim or financial success or or anything like that. You know, um, he, you know, you don't have to just keep. <laughs> yeah, for him to retire is kind of, it's quite interesting that you know someone so successful, so famous, and you know, even if it was just cameos, people, would, you know, give their eye teeth to. To get him in a film, even if it was just for five minutes, as you know, doing doing, doing something, um, hmm. it's quite it's, it's it's quite an interesting. He's quite an interesting figure, I guess. That I've decided to do something else. Yeah. Even if that's nothing. <laughs> Thanks to Ed for making time for this recording. Cinema Limbo is on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, with over one hundred episodes available. So please download, review, and subscribe. We're also on YouTube, on Twitter at cinema underscore limbo, and Podnose is also on Patreon, so please pop a penny in the box to help us with our running costs. However, until next time, you can follow the action, which gets you good pictures. You can follow your instincts, which will probably get you in trouble. Or you can follow the money, which nine times out of ten will get you closer to the truth. Listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network, so please visit us at www.podnose.com.